relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. I'm Sebastian Gorka on America First. Let's get back to the show with Jennifer Horn. Thank you, Dr. G. Welcome back to America First. I'm Jennifer Horn from Salem Radio in Los Angeles. Happy to be filling in for my buddy Seb. He's a little under the weather today, but he'll be doing okay. He'll be back in no time. He's a strong guy, and he's on Relief Factor, so, you know. We'll be back before you even know it. All right. So uh, a big interview from Breitbart, our friends over at Breitbart.com. You can check them out each and every day for your news, and you should. An exclusive interview with Speaker Kevin McCarthy after the release of the January 6th tapes to Tucker Carlson, some of them that started airing this week. Joining us right now is uh, the person who interviewed this speaker and, of course, a friend of this program, Matt Boyle, is here. You can give him a follow on Truth Social, at Real Matt Boyle. And, Matt, thanks for being with us, and welcome to America First. Hey, thanks for having me. It is great to have you. Now, you sat down with Kevin McCarthy, and I know this is a two-parter, right? There's going to be more information coming But I was really happy to hear he says that these tapes are going to be available to the public, not just to Tucker, because those really are our tapes, aren't they? Yeah. So, look, uh, there's a whole ton of other stuff that we talked about during the interview, and that will come out in the coming, you know, days and weeks. It takes our team a lot of time uh, to to make these perfect and get them all ready to roll. We talked about all sorts of things like the debt ceiling, China, immigration, the cartels, all sorts of stuff like that. All that stuff's coming. But the big thing, we had to get it out immediately because this is in the news, is that this is the most in-depth interview the speaker's done since he made the uh, decision to authorize the release of the Capitol security tapes from January 6th, uh, the surveillance video to Tucker Carlson. So I asked him, uh, you know, for the logic and the reasoning why he decided to do so. He argued that it's uh, in the interest of transparency and the public deserves to see what happened there and whether or not it fits with the narrative that the January 6th committee is putting forward uh, or that they put forward. They're a defunct committee now. They're totally shut down because the new Republican majority uh uh, ended the the thing, um, but then in addition to that, uh, uh, I also asked him if he intends to release them publicly, and he said they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's forty two thousand hours, he said, uh, which is a lot more than the fourteen thousand hours that the committee staff said uh, last Congress that they, that there was. So they're going through all the footage right now, mm-hmm. and they're removing things like. You know, secret doors, security reasons, stuff, right? Like, they can't release that stuff. Totally understandable. We don't need to know, like, where the leadership gets taken in a crisis or something like that. Um, probably probably a better thing that that stuff doesn't come out. But uh, the, everything they can release, they do intend to release to the public. So, and they're, and they're, they're working on it right now. 
Yep. What's his what's his inclination? Because, you know, it was the plight of the Republican politician to uh, try to maintain their their status by uh, by by condemning what went on at the Capitol. And look, there were some bad behavior behaviors, right? There are people who are breaking the law that were at the Capitol that day. I think everybody who is saying thinks that those people should be prosecuted. But by and large, there are plenty of people that have been prosecuted that weren't really doing anything wrong. And that was a narrative that has been busted apart by these uh, hours and hours of footage. So does the speaker seem to have um, a, a take on uh, on how Republicans should be reacting to this now? No, he says he wants to put it all out there in the interest of transparency and let the chips fall where they may, right? Let, let people mm-hmm. make their own decisions. Uh, that's his argument. He, he, he says he personally hasn't even gone through the examples and so on and so forth. And he, I don't think he really intends to. I think he's just going to put it all out there. And then let people decide for themselves what does it show, what are the uh, various moments show. And I'm sure there's bad moments in there, too. By the way, the January 6th committee had some of these tapes that they released during their committee hearings, and they showed the worst moments of of several of these people, Uh, whereas – the uh, the stuff that you saw in Tucker Carlson seems to be the some of the better moments of some of these mm-hmm. people, and so maybe we, you know we should stop the narrative building and we should stop lying like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinsinger, and Benny Thompson have been doing for you. By the way, Benny Thompson made a really stunning admission the other day. I don't know if you saw this. Benny Thompson, he was the chairman of the January 6th Select Committee, the whole last Congress. He was appointed by Nancy Pelosi. He was running the whole investigation. He said that neither he nor any of the other members of the committee, that means Liz Cheney, Adam Kinsinger, or any of the Democrats who were on the committee, none of them actually went through the raw surveillance footage that they assigned it to some staffer so the members themselves didn't i think it's a it's a good thing for the public to be able to see all of this stuff mm-hmm. and so hopefully in the interest of transparency we can get to this some actual truth about this and uh and you know what i i think that the speaker deserves a lot of credit here because uh, this is an extremely courageous thing for him to fight the media, the left. I mean, look, look, when we were doing the interview, we did the interview in the speaker's ceremonial office yesterday afternoon. There were hundreds of reporters standing right outside the room ready wow. to j- jump on him and try to ask him questions. They were all trying to peer through the blinds and stuff. It was it was unbelievable. It was a surreal moment in the Capitol. Right? Like, I think the only other time I've seen that many reporters – uh, waiting for a member was like back when Anthony Weiner was in trouble. Right? Like, <laughs> so it was it was a surreal scene doing this interview in the middle of this thing. It was like perfect timing, but uh, and that's why we rushed to get this part of the the the, the special that we're doing. Uh, we had this on the books for 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 a couple months, right? We were playing on this timing. for a while. Yeah, yeah. And so, but I think it's it, the speaker deserves enormous amount of courage and uh, uh, deserve our credit for the courage that he's showing here. And and frankly, uh, I think it's a good thing to push for transparency. So hopefully, uh, we get these tapes soon, and then the public can make their own determinations, not waste Cheney's determinations made for them. Absolutely, or any individual. I mean, I don't need Tucker Carlson or Don Lemon or uh, or Liz Cheney telling me what to think. I'd like to be able to think about them and look at them myself. How is he feeling? Because there is a lot, especially from the Senate, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer unbelievable kind of joining forces and condemning this move to release the footage you would think that they would be interested in transparency too but that's not the case what is he saying about all that pressure well not only is chuck schumer not interested in transparency 
And the establishment Republicans are just being normal establishment Republicans, right? Sure. Like in complaining about something that's semi-controversial, but the, the um, rather than doing the right thing. But in the case of Chuck Schumer, it's really bad. He actually called for censorship in response to this. He wanted the Rupert Murdoch to take Tucker Carlson off the air and not be able to air any more content or footage on this, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Um, and th- that's that's disgusting. That's un-American, right? Like, I mean, we believe in the freedom of speech and we believe in transparency in America. These are fundamentally American principles embedded in our Constitution. Uh, and that's what Speaker McCarthy said, is he said that uh, when I asked him about Schumer's reaction on this, he said, you know, it's, it's interesting that the Democrats always go to censorship. That's what they always do. He should read the Constitution because it says it right there in the First Amendment that we believe in the freedom of the press. Um, the, what's, uh, another thing that we talked about with the speaker, which was really interesting, was uh, the media being all upset about Tucker getting the first story on this. Last time I checked, CNN got tons of exclusives <laughs> during, from the January 6th committee about things that they had found during their investigation. So what's wrong with Tucker getting an exclusive and then them releasing it all publicly? There's nothing you know, wrong with that. I'm glad so, for, because of you, I feel so much better today because I was disturbed that it was just going to go to Tucker. I, I wanted it to go to everyone. I love Tucker. I love what he does. But I wanted it to go to everyone. But because of your reporting, Matt Boyle, now we know that it is. And it is going to be released to everyone. And that's why we love having you here. Thank you for this interview. Can't wait to read more. Listen to more. Give him a follow right now. True Social at Real Matt Boyle. And check out Breitbart each and every day. Breitbart.com is the place. I'm Jennifer Horan. In for Dr. G, this is America First. Today, we are partnering with Food for the Poor to provide urgently needed food to some of the most impoverished countries in our hemisphere because of interrupted planting cycles, rising food prices, and the lingering impact of COVID. The list of families unable to feed their children grows longer by the day, but you can make a difference to these families. Today, a meal-for-meal match means your one-time gift of $144 provides a family of four with food for a year. That's two meals a day for the next year for a family who struggle to get even a handful of rice or enough corn for a tortilla. Knowing your gift will never have more impact than right now. Will you rescue one family, three families, or even ten families? Go to sebgorka.com and click on the red Send Food banner. Text the keyword G-O-R-K-A to 91999 and you will get a link to make your life-saving gift. Or to give your gift by phone, call my toll-free number 855-330-4673. Sebastian Gorka on America First. Let's get back to the show with Jennifer Hall. Listen to that voice. Dr. Sebastian Gorka is out today, but I am Jennifer Horn. I am in for Dr. G, uh, and we are taking your calls at 833-33-GORKA. And all of a sudden, you know, the bat phone sort of goes off in the studio, the lights flicker, and all of a sudden we pull up this little dial right here, and we hear the voice of Dr. G himself. Seb, are you there? I don't think I'll be recording any liners today. <laughs> you poor thing. You still sound great. Don't listen to anybody saying that you sound old. You sound like you do have a sore throat, though. How are you feeling? You, you're just taking it easy? Yeah. First time I've been sick since catching COVID, and God bless you. You're, uh, you're standing in the gap. I've got strep, but I always love to listen to my amazing guest host, and I 
heard uh, Deep Voice Dave and I heard Dan, Dan on the, uh, the Tucker videos, then I just, look, I totally agree with you. Look, number one, where, where's the, the, the big, you know, reveal? I want to see footage of Ashley Babbitt. I want to see footage of Antifa types putting on MAGA hats. And, and the second thing, the point of Kevin giving it to, you know, somebody else, not just Tucker, if, that, if he'd done that, he would have prevented what I think is happening right now. If you look at what happened on, on Tuesday night, it's clear that Rupert Murdoch got a phone call from Chucky Schumer and, and stepped on Tucker's head. If we had multiple sources, if we had Newsmax, if we had Breitbart, then the pressure to shut us down would be impossible. Yeah, I didn't believe I didn't go along with Dan's theory that only Tucker asked for these tapes. I think everybody would be happy to get a hold yeah. of them. You have a show at Newsmax. I bet you'd like to have some of those tapes as well. I mean, it just it, it doesn't make any sense that it would just be one person that gets it. I'm glad that the speaker and and to again to his credit to release these. It's incredibly important not just for the people yeah. who are in prison, but just for all of us to see it. So well done to the speaker, but. Everybody, those are our tapes. That's our building. We are taxpayers. We should be able to see what's on them. And I do feel like Tucker Carlson built this up. He said Monday and Tuesday there'd be revelations on Twitter last week. We got some on Monday. We didn't get them on Tuesday. It could be the drip drip method. Maybe something else is coming out. But so far, we haven't seen more than has already really been out there. Well, and Grant made the uh, the point on his um, TV show that the Tuesday show. Tucker's show was really disjointed. It's as if they changed it in the last minute. It's as if Paul Ryan or Rupert Murdoch had pulled some footage and they'd have to slap something together. So I I think Tucker's under the gun, and we need multiple avenues to get this footage out there as quickly as possible because people are still waiting for their trials. These people should have that evidence now. And they should really, some of these folks who have been convicted already, they should have their, those convictions overturned if information like this was held back by the government, which, Seb, now we know it has been. Yeah, we, we need that information. We need it now. We need some yeah. brave attorneys to start suing the DOJ, the Capitol Police, and the FBI for those who have already been convicted. All right, will you do me a favor and get some rest? I'm back, going back to bed right now, Good. Madam. We're going to hold down the fort for you and feel free. You can call in. This line is yours. So you know what? You just the lights will flicker off. We'll know when you're calling. But get some rest. We miss you. And I know you'll be back soon. Thanks for joining us. Another hour up ahead. Jennifer Horn in for Dr. G. This is America First. Did you notice in the State of the Union speech last month, Biden doubled down on his spending plans, adding even more to the federal deficit? That doesn't bode well for the value of your money. Sebastian Gorka here. Biden's disconnected view of the economy means there will be no meaningful steps taken to lessen inflation and lower interest rates. Your cash reserves and investments will be worth less, which is why I recommend calling veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to look into safeguarding your wealth with the stability of gold while you still can. Gold traditionally holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the destruction of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Don't let Biden's misguided economy wipe you out. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. Go to MidasGoldGroup.com or call 855-322-GOLD. That's 855-322-GOLD. It's gold you can hold. MidasGoldGroup.com, 855-322-GOLD. Just a good old boy 
I'm Sebastian Gorka on America First. Let's get back to the show with Jennifer Horn. Thank you, Dr. G. That is the voice of Sebastian Gorka. He is out today, a little under the weather. He actually just called in last hour. It was great to hear him. I'm Jennifer Horn. I host a morning answer in Los Angeles on Salem Radio, AM 870 and AM 590. The answer, happy to be filling in today. Let's give those California updates on Wednesday's edition of America First, actually, at this very time. All right, it's a big day. We have lots to talk about. We have been talking about January 6th and the tapes. We switch gears now to talk about President Biden, or as I like to call him, Chairman Joe. And uh, his latest plan for a budget. He laid out the guidelines in Philadelphia today and joining us to go through it just to figure out the good, the bad. And, of course, just how much we're all going to pay in taxes is our friend. I call him our chief economist around Salem Radio. Stephen Moore is here. You can give him a follow on Twitter and all social media platforms at Stephen Moore. He also has a fabulous newsletter. You sign up for that at committee to unleash prosperity dot com. And Stephen, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jennifer, so good to be with you. And and I did uh, start to read through this, um, you know, 800 page budget that came out today. <laughs> and you're so right. I mean, for you know, it's massive tax increases. Um, probably I've been in this business a long time, 35 years as a fiscal analyst of, of these federal budgets. I think this is by far the, the most dangerous budget I've seen. I mean, we would have the highest corporate tax in the world. We would have the highest wow. capital gains tax in the world. We would raise our income taxes. Now, by the way, we're just soaking in the rich. Well, guess what? Those are the people who create the businesses, who create the jobs, who uh, pay for you know, the vast majority of the taxes already. Sure. Uh, and then, you know, on top of that, um, you know, he says, oh, this is a fiscally lean budget. What's he talking about? They, they're talking about a $500 billion increase in the budget for one year, $500 billion. So this is tax and spend. It's progressive economics on steroids. And, folks, if this were – the good news is the Republicans will never <laughs> go along with this, thank God. But even the idea that they would – you know, what they're doing here, Jennifer – is they're saying, give us all the power in 2024, and this is what we're going to do. This is our vision for America. Well, that's just it. These things do not turn in. There's no way. You can't tell me that they actually have 800 pages of budgetary line items. These are wish lists, Stephen, it would seem to me. And I'm not the economist that you are, but it seems to me that this is a wish list of all the stuff that they want to do. And they don't have any limitations in how to pay for it. And so they say, well, we're going to tax the rich. Well, rich compared to who? And how is that going to not impact the middle class when it's the rich that we all work for? And, you know, we did, as you know, Jennifer, I was one of the authors of the Trump tax cut. I mean, Trump obviously yeah. knew exactly what he wanted to do, but we helped with Larry Kudlow and Art Laffer really put the meat on the bones of that. And every, oh, tax cuts for the rich, tax cuts for the rich. Did you know, Jennifer, last year, the rich paid 40, the top 1% paid 42% of the income tax. We have all time record high tax revenues. Mm-hmm. It is, how many times have they said this on your show there in Los Angeles? This is not a, a revenue problem. It's, like, it's not like we have a shortage of revenues. It's that we're spending seven trillion dollars a year when i first came to washington you know 35 years ago we passed the first trillion dollar budget now we're on seven trillion and it's almost like you know uh, uh you know to infinity and beyond it's uh, <laughs> unbelievable it's buzz light year it seems like it and they just don't have a plan so what is this going to do so let's just say and we'll get to what is realistic and what's not because i know kevin mccarthy is going to have to have some conversations with joe biden about the the debt ceiling all of this but 
what does this do to the dollar? Already, we're seeing the dollar suffer. We're seeing inflation. We can't just fire up the old printer and print more money to pay for all of these ridiculous things. You can only tax people so much before you you spook them and you scare them and they don't buy anything anymore. So what what will happen if this goes through? Well, first of all, if you were to actually let me give you some examples. I mean, he wants to raise the capital gains tax to, you know, like 40 percent. And then he also wants to tax unrealized capital gains. So, if wow. you, we, you know, in other words, like, let's say you have a stock and you, you know, bought Microsoft 25 years ago, smart you. And now that, you know, maybe if you've made a big profit on that $100,000 in profit, they want you to pay a tax on that. You can't believe this, and they want you to pay a tax on it, even though you haven't taken the gain. You don't have the cash to pay that tax because you haven't sold the stock. Or, you know, what you you mentioned the other day about uh, somebody having a home that appreciates in value. Are they going to, oh, let's say you bought that house for $150,000, now it's worth $250,000. You owe the government tax on $100,000? Where people can get the money. It's it's an insane idea. I mean, people don't have the money to pay for that. And so uh, I find that to be extraordinarily dangerous. And I'll say this. If you raise that capital gains tax to 40%, then try to tax people on their unrealized capital gains, and then uh, continue continue to tax people on their inflationary gains, we're, we would, I think there would be a good chance we'd have a 1929-style um, crash stock market. I mean, who would want to invest in that kind of environment? You're right about that. It is absolutely frightening. It's not good for business. It's not good for individuals. Stephen Moore is with us. We call him our chief economist here at Salem Radio. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter, at Stephen Moore. And it's a lot of this, because it's my sense that you're hearing, at least in the presentation of this new budget plan, Stephen, the, the Biden administration is saying that this is sensible, that it's common sense, that it's going to ensure that our grandkids still have access to Medicare, because they think that's one of the ways that they can stick it to Republicans, because they've created this narrative that Republicans hate all of these entitlements. So what is it? Is it is it a push towards many green programs? Is it a, is it a wish list? What else are they putting in here? And they're putting it as part of this budget, because it seems to me that there is a lot of pie in the sky ideas as part of this as well. Oh, yeah. More of the green energy stuff. By the mm-hmm. way, I had a, my my um, uh, article this week uh, that I put out a weekly column, you know, we have record high, I don't know if you saw this, that the global uh, um, carbon emissions were higher than any time ever before. Wait a minute. We spent $100 billion over the last 20 years trying to stop that. And so, Biden, you'd say, if you spent $100 billion and you accomplished nothing, wouldn't you think, hmm, maybe this isn't working? Instead, Biden isn't just doubling down. He's tripling down. He said, no, give us $300 billion more, and then we'll stop the carbon emissions. But wait a minute. All the carbon emissions are coming from China, not the United States. And this is stupidity of these policies. Uh, You know, the United States, you know, per unit of GDP probably is the least polluting country in the world. And so it's just more of the same, doubling and tripling down. And, you know, I had a piece in the Wall Street Journal this week pointing out that, you know, we have seven states that have this progressive style of government. And these states, uh, you know, including the one you're in, California, and my hometown is Illinois, and New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Did you know that they've lost five and a half million people? Five and a half million? People are leaving. They're voting with their feet. They don't want this progressive, woke, raise your taxes, let the criminals out, let the illegal immigrants in. You know, people don't want this. They don't want this. uh, 
get back to sensibility. We understand as individuals who have a household, a budget. We understand as people who run businesses that we work mm-hmm. better with a budget that actually means you pay for what you can afford. I mean, I remember as a kid, remember the Sears catalog? And my grandmother, she was awesome. She yeah. would come to me and she'd say, what do you want for Christmas? And she'd hand it to me. And at that time, it was like a phone book. And I remember yeah. no concept of money, right? I just go through yeah. and I dog ear and circle everything. That's how Democrats run these blue you know, states. It's true. It's like they've got and, the and Sears catalog. Yeah. Well, let me just say that it's not just Democrats. It's Republicans, too. Well, Sometimes. that's unfortunately I mean, it, true. It, you know, it's the old saying, a kid in a candy store. And yeah. that's what these these congressmen are. You know, now the Democrats are a little bit worse than the Republicans. But this idea of, I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this, and I want this. And, and even using the term budget is an insult to the term budget, because a budget is supposed to balance at some point. <laughs> right. It just goes up and up and up and up and up, and it never balances. How can you even call that a budget, right? They are really pretty, though, because those budgets that are run by by all these blue states, and you're right, <laughs> even by some Republicans, they're pretty because they're red. You know, they don't, they don't have to worry about all that black ink. They get to use the pretty color pens. It's unbelievable, Stephen. I shared with you this morning, and I know we're we're running out of time, but the punishment that is inflicted on people because these governments in my state of California, they just nobody knows how to do this. So for years, Gavin Newsom has been crowing as our governor about a surplus, right? Well, now we're in a deficit. And guess what he's decided not to do, Stephen? He's decided for the first time in six years, he's not going to give a state of the state address because he's too plagued by his dyslexia. (laughs) Now, I am not... want people to know the state of the state. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not a doctor. Gavin Newsom may absolutely have dyslexia and lives with it every day. That may be a struggle. But he's given state of the state addresses from teleprompters before and has wasted no time talking about how great his leadership is. But now that all of this excessive spending has wound us into a deficit <laughs> he's not going to do a state of the state it's unbelievable well you know what maybe maybe um Ron DeSantis can give the state of the state for him. <laughs> and let me tell you, if Ron DeSantis offered to give the state of the state for him, I can tell you that would be the fastest way to get Gavin Newsom in front of a teleprompter again, because he I lives rent-free in that brain. It's such an interesting rivalry. It's such it an is... interesting rivalry between those two. And, you know, California you know, is going in the wrong direction. And, and uh, Florida, I just got back from Florida. I mean, it is booming right now. It's incredible. So, you know, these policies matter. You know, let's get back to sensible policies, balance yeah. the budget, let's simplify the tax system. We don't well have to said. hire 87,000 new agents. <laughs> Get rid of them. In fact, how about just a flat yeah. tax or a sales tax? We like that idea. Follow yeah. him right now at Stephen Moore and get that newsletter at Committee to Unleash Prosperity.com. Stephen, thanks so much for being with us. We have a whole lot more up ahead. I'm Jennifer Horn in for Dr. G, and this is America First. Just when you thought it couldn't get any better, Mike Lindell with MyPillow is launching the MyPillow 2.0. When Mike invented the MyPillow, it had everything you could ever want in a pillow. Nearly 20 years later, he discovered a new technology that makes it even better. MyPillow 2.0 has the patented adjustable fill of the original MyPillow and now with a brand new fabric that is made with a temperature regulating thread. The MyPillow 2.0 is the softest and coolest pillow 
you'll ever own. For my exclusive listeners, the MyPillow 2.0 has a buy one, get one free offer with promo code GORKA. MyPillow 2.0 temperature regulating technology is 100% made in the USA and comes with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list of square for the buy one, get one free offer. Enter promo code GORKA or call 800-829-8468. That's code G-O-R-K-A. Go today. Sebastian Gorka on America First. Let's get back to the show with Jennifer Horn. Thank you, Dr. G. Seb Gorka is out today, but you can give him a follow on all the social media platforms at Seb Gorka. You can go to YouTube. You can go to Rumble. There's a whole Sebastian Gorka America First channel there and Substack. SebastianGorka.substack.com. Make sure you check it all out. And you can always go to that Seb Gorka store for all the coolest merchandise. I always do because I like to shop. Now, yesterday, and by the way, I'm Jennifer Horn, on loan from AM870, AM590, The Answer in Los Angeles. And yesterday, the Foreign Relations Committee in the House of Representatives did a hearing on our withdrawal, our botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. And it was emotional. It was jaw-dropping. There's nothing that was maybe newly revealed, but to listen to how this administration failed the men and women of our military and also our allies was pretty stunning. Take a listen. This is video cut six. This is a Marine sniper, Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, who gave testimony yesterday. Take a listen. When he got to me, he dragged me to safety and immediately started triaging me, tying tourniquets on my limbs and doing anything he could to stop the bleeding and start plugging wounds with the help of the other Marines. I was awake through most of it, screaming, moaning, and cursing, Please ask, uh, <clears throat> I ask you to please ask me about getting shot at the tower in Abbey Gate and how no one wanted my report post-blast. Even NCIS and the FBI failed to interview me. Ask me to elaborate on my ordeal post-blast and ask me about this one little girl and her family that I reunited. Our military members and veterans deserve our best because that is what we give to America. The withdrawal, <clears throat> the withdrawal was a catastrophe in my opinion. And there was an inexcusable lack of accountability and negligence. The 11 Marines, one sailor, and one soldier that were murdered that day have not been answered for. That is uh, Sergeant Tyler Vargas Andrews, who testified yesterday in front of the Foreign Relations Committee. One of the members of that committee is a friend of mine. She's a congresswoman from right here in California, California's 40th congressional district. And she joins us right now. You can give her a follow. Young Kim C.A. Congresswoman Kim, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Jennifer, for having me. And what a, I mean, the stunning testimony that we heard yesterday, we knew mm-hmm. that the withdrawal from Afghanistan was bad. But when you hear people's tears that were there on the ground and understand that this man testified that he had the ability to take out the suicide bomber that killed 13 members of our military congresswoman, he couldn't find the yeah. authority. No one would give him the OK. And now we know that those lives were lost and needlessly Right. And to think that um, that he didn't have the permission to kill the suspected terrorists that he knew he could have done and saved lives. It's just, and then to hear the stories and him recounting what he had to go through, it was very 
heartbreaking. At times, it was very, very emotional, difficult to listen. But as you know, this was the first hearing that our Foreign Affairs Committee had the chance to have a conversation and actually listen and hear from the private evacuation groups who were on the ground during the the catastrophic Afghanistan withdrawal. This was the first time that we were able to give these veterans an open platform so they can share their stories and start the conversation for these veterans who wanted to tell the story but couldn't. It's been over a year and a half since the withdrawal, and we were not able to hear these stories, and we were so glad to give them the platform to be able to share their stories. It was, again, it was heartbreaking, but I'm glad that we were able to do it. Absolutely. They to tell their story, and we deserve, Americans deserve to actually hear from them what actually happened. You know, aside from it, and I've been saying this now for a while, but aside from the disgrace that's happening at our southern border, Congresswoman Kim, I think this is the the worst atrocity that was that was created and literally created by the Biden administration. You know, every critic of Trump said that he didn't have the demeanor to make big decisions and he would just do whatever he wanted to do. And he was angry. He wanted to get out of Afghanistan, too. Many of us did. I am compassionate mm-hmm. to people who wanted to end this war. But he took the advice of his military advisors and they said it wasn't the time. Biden right. did not. It seems that he made the decision because he just wanted to get out no matter the cost. And now you're hearing these tragic stories about lives lost. And by the way, reminiscent of Benghazi, Congresswoman, Mm -hmm. because it seems Mm -hmm. that the State Department was actually in charge, which is probably why he couldn't get anyone to authorize killing a terrorist suicide bomber who blew up 13 people. Sure. I mean, if you listen to the whole hearing and if uh, our listeners uh, was able to listen to the whole hearing on C-SPAN as we were doing this, you would know that um, once the U.S. troops were pulled out, and on August 30th, uh, the, there was no diplomatic uh, communication. Everything was shut down, and we just there was no coordination. I had to ask a very, very tough question about our State Department, whether or not it was helpful uh, for our uh, you know, evacuation groups, outside organizations, when they were actually the ones who were trying to do this because State Department had actually shut yeah. down the communication and they said, private organizations, you are on your own. So I, I have to ask this tough question. I personally, uh, my office had to work with Canadian government when we couldn't get answers from our government they were telling us that it was very, very difficult. The the tough part, and it was a heartbreaking moment for me, was when I heard that uh, the veterans who were actually served, who actually served in Afghanistan, when they were going through this process, it was difficult for them to watch what they were seeing on TV because we were preparing for the withdrawal, and the number of calls that were made to the veteran crisis line by the veterans who actually yeah. served from the uh, in the Afghanistan that, that jumped to almost 100% between August 14 and August 29. And thereafter, when the groups stepped in, 
first of all, like Task Force Pineapple and other organizations. We had another uh, witness, Francis Hong, who was uh, the executive chairman of the Allied Airlift 21, and he was sharing the stories of once they start, um, you know, the State Department shut down their operation, they just didn't know who to ask. They had wow. to get like four or five different approvals just to get the approval to start uh, taking our Americans and the um, the Afghan allies and SIVs out of Congresswoman, uh, we're, we're up against a break, but this is really important to underscore. The calls to the suicide hotline spiked after this time because people felt disappointed and left behind by our government. Young Kim, thank you so much for being with us, representing California's 40th district. Check her out, Young Kim CA. Jennifer. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. This is America First with Sebastian Gorka, and I'm very proud to introduce our guest host for today, Jennifer Horn. Thank you, Dr. G. That is the voice of Sebastian Gorka. He's a little under the weather today, battling a little strep throat, but he will be back soon and well wishes to him. He actually checked in with us earlier in the program. I'm Jennifer Horn on loan from Salem Radio in Los Angeles. I host The Morning Answer on AM 870 and AM 590, The Answer. And we have lots of topics on the table today, but one thing is for sure. The Republican-led Congress, well, they are busy, busy at work, lots of hearings. And one of the friends, of, one of our friends, local congressman from California, a frequent guest on The Morning Answer. And, by the way, usually when I'm here on America First, Congressman Mike Garcia joins us right now. He represents California's 27th congressional district right in the heart of L.A. County. And Congressman Garcia, welcome to America First. Hey, thank you, Jen. I appreciate you having me. Busy oh, day here in D.C., like you said. I texted with you today, and you're, like, sending me pictures. You've got Christopher Ray in front of you. You have all of these people. You can follow him right now at Rep. Mike Garcia. But you've been getting lots of briefings today. You said on on House Intel, on appropriations, and uh, the Science Committee as well. But let's talk about this hearing you did today about the border, because there are clearly breakdowns happening on the border. My goodness. Four people from South Carolina go into Mexico. They get lost Maybe a case of mistaken identity. They get taken in by the cartel. Two of them are dead. One of them is injured. And uh, it seems that there's really not much to be said from the Biden administration. I can promise you if President Trump or someone else sitting in that White House right now, there'd be a sturdy and stern conversation going on with the president of Mexico. Yeah, and actually, so this hearing today was actually the director of national intelligence, uh, Haynes, the director of the CIA, Burns, the director uh, of uh, National Security Agent uh, General Nakasone, Director Ray of the FBI, and then the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. And the brief subject was, wasn't actually the border. It was actually uh, a, a, a worldwide threats assessment brief. And they went around the globe to who are the biggest threats to the United States. 
And the most shocking thing about this brief was that the border was not even discussed. The fentanyl crisis was not even discussed. And I, I reminded all of these folks who, you know, ultimately are responsible for briefing the president and his cabinet that 100,000 Americans actually died last year and that, that more Americans die every day because of fentanyl across our southern border than we lost Americans per day in World War II. And it was like this problem didn't even exist in their briefs. After two hours, I, I was finally one of the last ones to ask the question and, you know, just reminded them that the, the number one threat right now is actually our southern border in the fentanyl crisis. So absolutely shocking to, to, to see these folks put their head in the sand. And, again, these are the people that are informing our president on this topic. And it's no wonder that Biden has not changed his approach when it comes to our open border policies. You know what's so disturbing about that? And maybe it's because we're from the state of California, but certainly if you're in Arizona or Texas or, by the way, paying attention in any state because an open border is an every state problem. But, Congressman Garcia, if you're going to worry about national if you're going to worry about threats to our national security from around the globe, uh, you've got the doormat out on our southern border. How many people have we heard walk in here with ties to terror? And those are just the ones we're lucky enough to know about. How many people are coming in here from China, from other places, and they're unmonitored? I mean, Christopher Ray testified uh, in a hearing this week that he can't keep track of the people that are coming into the country. So if you are worried about national security, you better lock the front door, right? That's how we keep our house safe. We lock the door. Yeah, and in this country, we open all of our doors, welcome people in. And then as you know, the, the director Haynes uh, uh, mentioned today that it's a misinterpretation of U.S. policy. And it's like, no, it's not a misinterpretation. We have an open border policy and the world sees it. Uh, you are inviting bad people to come into our country. And the rate of change of number of known terrorists coming across our border that we apprehend has gone parabolic. Imagine the ones that we haven't apprehended. And by the way, China is shipping the precursor ingredients to fentanyl into Mexico. Mexico then makes the pills or sends mm-hmm. it in raw powder form to the United States. So if people want to say China is the biggest threat, I agree in this case, they're using the Mexican southern border uh, to, to funnel basically the, this poison called fentanyl to kill 100,000 Americans uh, every year. We are already at war, and we are losing this war to China already because of this. You know, it's really interesting when you try to find numbers for fentanyl deaths. It is not easy to locate how many people are actually dying. I think the last time I checked, I could find numbers from 2020 or not not anything recent. But when you start to hear the stories anecdotally that come out in the, in the news, Congressman, we had a state of emergency when it came to uh, when it come when it came to COVID. How yep. are government officials, whether they're local or whether they're at the federal level, like you were just dealing with today, do not see this as an emergency situation when children are getting a hold of these pills, <laughs> when kids are overdosing, thinking that they're buying something else that they shouldn't be buying. Granted but they still are not thinking they're getting what they get and they end up dead in a shower. It's a real problem. Yeah, and that's why I'm very uh, careful with the language here. This isn't overdose. Uh, These are poisonings. These kids think they're taking a Vicodin, a Percocet, you know, an Adderall, uh, and they are taking black market versions, which are all now made with fentanyl, and about 0.01% of them are lethal because they're not mixed correctly. And because of that, roughly 500 people a day are dying uh, which is more than the number of Americans that died every day during World War II, if you to put that in perspective. So uh, we've got a vigil in Santa Clarita coming up next week to honor those who have lost their lives because of these poisonings. And 
uh, it, this, this poison doesn't care what color your skin is, what age, how much money you have. It will kill you within five minutes, uh, and it's at the hands of the, the open southern border and, frankly, our government that is derelict in securing our border and looking after our national security interests. Now, just switching gears uh, a little bit, we're visiting with Congressman Mike Garcia. You can give him a follow at Rep. Mike Garcia on Twitter, on all the social media platforms. He represents California's 27th congressional district and serves the country in that way. But you also served the country in the military. You were a member of the United States Navy, which we thank you for your service for that, of course. But yesterday, and we spoke with Congresswoman Young Kim about this, there was a really emotional testimony given in uh, the Foreign Affairs Committee yesterday, and they talked about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Congressman, we have been talking about this for a long time. The problem, well, there were many with this decision to withdraw from Afghanistan, but the fact that this was a State Department mission, not a Department of Defense mission, allowed for these 13 individuals and and many more to be injured by a suicide bomber who, according to the testimony yesterday, this Marine sergeant couldn't get the authority to kill even though he had him in his sights. That's right. So there's, there's a lot of causal issues. The fact that we let all the prisoners out of Bagram and then surrendered, surrendered that airfield, you know, weeks before this incident. But I, if you recall, Jen, I was one of the few jumping up and down in June, July, early August saying this is not a diplomatic mission. Uh, operational control should not be under Secretary of State Blinken. This needs to be mm-hmm. under Secretary of State uh, Austin, uh, excuse me, Secretary of Defense Austin. Uh, we even wrote a letter to the president compelling him to change operational control to the DOD because it was a military operation, not a diplomatic State Department mission. And what right. happens is if you leave the State Department in charge too long, they don't establish rules of engagement. And we had war fighters on the ground, Americans on the ground, who were put in harm's way by these terrorist organizations. Uh, and because of the fact that they did not have formal rules of engagement flowed down to them by their commander-in-chief, uh, we lost hundreds of lives and 13 precious American service members. And this, the sniper himself was uh, gruesomely wounded, I think, uh, losing a couple of uh, appendages himself. So this could have all been avoided. Weakness on the global stage, uh, weakness real time on the ground and not handing this over to the DOD in a, in a manner appropriate for that type of operation is what caused these deaths. And uh, unfortunately, we are more vulnerable today relative to Afghanistan than we were on September 10th of 2001, and, and the, the Afghanistan terrorists, al-Qaeda, ISIS, are going to get reinvigorated in that nation. You know, Congressman, one of the things that I hear a lot from people, whether it's out speaking to groups or even, my goodness, on this program today, they say these hearings are great, and we like them, and that the information is getting out there, but what will come? I know that you've been one of the, the loudest advocates for getting this hearing, especially on Afghanistan. You've called for this all throughout your reelection campaign and beyond. Um, what do you hope will come from uh, a hearing like this? And I know there will, there will be more, but what do we hope will be the ultimate outcome? Well, first, an immediate hope is that we stop the bleeding and that the incompetency of this Biden administration is immediately put in check because they know there's a body that's giving them oversight. The Dems yeah. did not conduct oversight when they had the House. They're not doing that with the majority in the Senate. And obviously, Biden cabinet is basically enabling them to, to put us in harm's way. So hopefully stop the bleeding and ultimately very soon lead to accountability on multiple fronts, not just Afghanistan, but also COVID, uh, the weaponization of our government, the abuses of the FBI. And uh, there's a there's a long laundry list of uh, what we you know would consider reconciliation and justice uh, that, that has been absolutely a nightmare for Americans over the last two years. And there will be a reckoning here very soon. Uh, that's the commitment to America that we've made as a majority in the, in the House, at least. 
And you know the one thing I always tell people when they feel like they're losing hope and they say, oh, these hearings, are they going to result in anything? Anybody Is anybody going to get punished? The answer is if it makes one person change their mind or see truth, it was absolutely worth it. And Congressman Mike Garcia, I know that's what you're looking for out there is just the truth. Thanks for what you're doing. Give him a follow right now at Rep. Mike Garcia, representing California's 27th congressional district at Rep. Mike Garcia. Check him out. There is a whole lot more America First up ahead. Jennifer Horn in for Dr. G. This is America First. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.